0: Hi guys, welcome back to Veterans' State of Mind. This episode coming from Los Angeles, California, and my guest today, his name is Scott Husing. Did I get that right? You got it. You nailed it. Right, he is a, as you can tell by the voice, gravelly, gravelly voice. He is an infantry soldier, um, a former United States Marine Corps enlisted service personnel, and an officer. Uh, he's an, also an author. Some something we got in common there is that we got bad knees we both write books <laughs> uh he is uh, scott wrote a book called uh, echo in ramadi which is a fucking really cool title but it, it works on it works on many levels too i think um i'm going to talk a bit, bit about that today mate welcome to the podcast
1: yeah hey it's great to be on the show man i'm glad to be up here in la love the people hate the traffic it is the worst in the world
0: it is, it is isn't it? it sucks especially yeah. when um yeah thank you american airlines for making me late as well. My delay <laughs> fight. But, um, yeah, dude, like, we are just, we're just outside then. So, like, shout-out to Gareth uh, for letting us record at his place again. Um, you know, like, the view outside then was just fantastic. Yeah.
1: We're up in the Hollywood Hills, so, like, North yeah. Hollywood. Never Not bad
0: really. for a couple of grunts, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. We were, just, we were <laughs> talking about that before the show, which was cool, because uh, being in the infantry and it being in the Army and the Marines, you, you, I mean, you're surrounded by a ton of great people as an active-duty yeah. service member, and you travel the world in so many countries. And then, you know, there was a... a a point where you just kind of reflect back especially now and I, I, I said to this uh, to you and Gareth I said man I never thought I'd meet so many cool people Yeah, and he's a music producer you know does EDM stuff and we're in, like in a legit studio like if you're not watching this podcast like you're just listening to it it's really dialed in. Probably one of the most dialed in studios I've uh, uh, it, it's,
0: it's been lucky enough to. The in. sound, the sound in this place is uh, ridiculous. I've been lucky enough to uh, house it a few times here, and the best thing about the studio is not the recording quality; it's the fact that it's a soundproof room, so You can have yeah. parties until six in the morning. <laughs> the neighbors will, <were, laughs> none the wiser. Yeah, it's pretty badass. So I uh, just uh, run us through, uh, run us through that kind of your, your career because you did a, a hell of a long time in uh, in the service.
1: Yes, twenty-four years, both enlisted and as an officer, uh, which I'm very proud of, in in. in the Marine Corps—they call that a Mustang, yep. like a horse. Ad- it's one of my favorite cars. Yeah,
0: one of my favorite people. Well, hor- the horse, Co- horse of a, yep.
1: a horse of a different breed or multiple breeds, but it's a it's a term of endearment. They call us a Mustang officer, and
0: so sorry, so yeah. just just together. So it's the, the term Mustang means you've had a couple of horses of different breeds. So is that so? It's because you've combined officer and enlisted. Exactly. All right. Exactly. Cool. I, ne- I never knew that. That's dope. Yep. That's, that's awesome. Yeah.
1: And uh, so after my first enlistment, I realized the value of a college education because in high school and primary school, you know, I was just a horrible student, man. I mean, I just didn't study. I had horrible grades. Barely got out of high school and then enlisted in the Marine Corps, went to college, did much better in college. And I really wanted to give back and continue to serve. And a young sergeant and God bless the NCOs. You know, they make the, the military go around. He calls me and says, hey, sir, if you come down, you run a fitness test and take a physical, I can get you a boat space at Officer Candidate School in January. And I was thinking, man, this is right up my alley because I I was in line for a federal job, federal law enforcement, and they had a hiring freeze, so I couldn't wait tables right. and bartend for another year and a half. And I just, it was a, it was a blessing, man, because... I had I not made that decision and had that one person called me, his name was Sergeant Connor, I still remember his name, and just called me out of the blue and offered me that opportunity. It was it's the best decision in my life yeah. because I mean
0: sometimes, you know, you need that that person who's either a mentor or just someone who goes out their way and makes that little that little bit of extra work on their end. From no gain of their own, yeah, uh, and it can have a massive impact on somebody else's life, you know. Yeah, you know,
1: I always talk about. That. I use that word all the time: impact, and how sometimes you never get to see that impact you've made. And it made me just think I should I should look that guy up online, Sergeant Connor. I'm going to go back yeah. to my my service record book or whatever and find his first name and look him up. Just on. Say thank you. Yeah, Sergeant Connor. If you're listening to this episode, I'm sure he
0: is. We have millions absolutely. of listeners across the world. Yeah, no, that nah, dude. Yeah, the thanks. mics aren't even plugged in. I just wanted to hang out. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've, I've definitely had people like that across the years, and you, you know, you just have maybe a small interaction with them. I'm sure you're in the same position now that I find myself in in that position now, where I'm starting to be on the receiving end of some of those messages. Like I was having a beer last night with my um, my friend Alex, that's Alex out in Colorado, and we just chat there. One of his friends came along. He's talking to his friends, so I'm like, oh, I'll just have a look what's in my inbox, and I, had, I still haven't replied to it yet because I had this really heartfelt message from someone. And I was like, I was like, whoa! I don't know how to even. Do you know that like, kind of you know that thing on like uh, *Wayne's World* where they meet Alice Cooper and they're like, "We're not worthy, we're not yeah. worthy." I kind of felt like that. I felt like just replying to this message, just being like, "I'm not worthy of this." What was the message? Though? Just, just <laughs> about someone. He's from the same town as me. Never been in the military, but read the book, and was just basically talking about like how it helped him with the mental thing and all that and i just think like and that's you know the reason i bring this up is because we've both written you know we've not not just a suck my dick it's because we've both written books um and when you get messages like that god i tell you that's what
1: it's huge I, I, there's been a lot of times where i've opened my email or whatever up and i've seen a message on there and i've it, literally tears to my eyes yeah. because y- you do really see that impact i, j- I just shared this story too and I'll share it again because it's a remarkable story this this lady took complete strangers too sometimes sometimes it's people you meet sometimes it's a complete stranger, but this lady named uh, sila uh, and she doesn't mind me using her name. Uh, I won't use her last name, but hit me up on LinkedIn and told me that her husband was a gunnery sergeant in the marine Corps, served in Afghanistan, and was injured and he died of his wounds a year ago after coming home after fighting a long battle and she said that her family over the past year has sent her every single self-help book recovery grief and she told me it wasn't until she read my book that she really understood what her husband had gone through and that my book was the only one that really mattered to her, and it, man, I tell you, I, yeah. I get a little emotional just I did, the I mean, of course. I mean, look, man, it's it's it's, 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 it's
0: a tough one too, it's because it's like the you know the reason you and I share these stories is not is not to blow smoke up our own houses, but it's because I want to encourage anybody else to tell their own stories because you never know who it's going to impact. So that's yeah. the reason, you know, the reason me and Scott are telling you these things is because, and it doesn't even have to be writing a book just these interactions you yeah. never know what by putting out your own work or your own stories you never know what's going to come of it like i bet you never in your wildest dreams thought like i'm sure you thought that people from your own unit their families would it would impact but i bet you never thought that it was going to have such a positive effect on no. the life of a gunner sergeant yeah, from I would have some been, other unit
1: i would have been happy if the 250 marines i led in ramadi read the book mm-hmm. and, and the families that would have been fine but when you are reaching tens of thousands of people through sharing your work. And I think that's cool to always reemphasize it. And and I hate being the guy that's always given talking points and I'm saying the same thing, but it is a really important message when we're talking to, especially the veteran community about sharing your story, because there's another word I use a lot and that is capacity. Mm. Not everybody is like you that can share that story. Not everybody can pour their guts out and rip their soul open and dump it in, into prose and do it in a way that makes it interesting mm. to other people. And I, I don't think everyone has to do no, that. No, they don't. But sometimes, you're right, it could be a blog or it could be sharing on social media in a paragraph or a right. sentence it, or two.
0: could be talking to some young cadets yeah. like in your local community. You I think it really yeah. is just... Mm-hmm
1: having an awareness that you need to stay connected. And that really is everything that I do through as a result of my writing and and public speaking is that connection is really the cure for guys who are struggling, not not as guys in combat either, guys that were in the military that really missed that connection. They missed the camaraderie and that brotherhood and sisterhood. And I think that being able to read stories and share stories like that, that that's pretty important stuff, you know.
0: And we've got we we're the best position out of any war fighting generation to ever be able to do it. Yeah. Thanks to social media. No, so I wanna t so I started reading your book and like I told you I text you, I, I, it really it's it's hard for me to read books about Iraq because I get almost like FOMO, you know, the fear of missing out. Like i I, I wanna be I never felt like even though I was in Iraq in oh six, oh seven and I was in kinetic. I was part of kinetic tours. I never felt like I really kind of got out of those tours what I wanted. So I get I get incredibly frustrated when I read books yeah. about Iraq. Um, but what, what you know the main thing that jumped out at me. Um, just um, we'll we'll give some background on the book. But the main thing that just jumped out at me was really just how like infantry soldiers are from enemy war any Any like British or American or marines or uh, infantry soldiers are infantry soldiers and it was just those little like rivalries the banters um there's a story in there about one of your uh, one of your men who it's that classic story that we've heard hundreds of times from hundreds of different wars of the guy who gets injured and like pulls out his fucking IVs and makes his way back to his unit yeah. I mean and that's why I'm sure you feel the same. I get pissed off when I hear people talking down on this generation. Oh, they couldn't have done what this generation did or that generation. I'm like, you, when you hear a story about a guy like that, who basically hitchhikes his way back to his unit. On youth helicopters. With, on helicopters with no <laughs> weapons or anything. Like, just makes his own way back after getting shot in the chest because yeah. he's not because he's not willing to leave his brothers behind. I just think like... That to me it just says it all about the infantry soldier. It really does.
1: Yeah, it it is not just a cliche or adage that war is timeless, and that's that's one of the things too. Is it, every time I read a story like that, and I you know reading reading through your book, I was it it's it, it just makes you amazed. You think, God, man, were we separated at birth or something? Like the yeah. the commonalities of this the the young soldiers and Marines and, and what goes on at those levels and, and what they have to deal with. And for the public that really are insulated uh, out of the military, these are young 18, 19 year old mm-hmm. kids for the most part. Mm-hmm. And when you're a commander who's 35 years old leading those type of, of Marines in combat, and we were in, in, in Iraq at the same time, I was there 06, 07 mm-hmm. in Ramadi during the surge. So this is again, one of these strange things where we're from two different countries, we happen to be in the same country the exact same year, fighting the same war against the same enemy, and yeah. then we meet, for the record, through Uh-oh. Rudy Reyes, yeah, who's shout a good Rudy. Of, Yeah, Rudy. Yeah, shout He's out Rudy. He's in Helsinki, Finland right now, of all places. I text him, I said, hey, I'm getting together just today. He says, What's, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're going to drop a podcast. Where are you? Helsinki, yeah, it was. That was guy it, is everywhere. Is he, yeah, he we get, love him.
0: He gets around. Well, I actually first met Rudy in the hotel down the down the street from here, and then yeah, we then we met on the we met on the fourth of fourth of July or International Traitors Day, as I like to call it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was. It was um, it, it, but like you said, like so, you know, like to your to your point. Um, you know, Rudy met met Rudy, and I've you know I've read Generation Kill. God knows how many times. One of my favorite books. Shout out Evan Wright, you did a great job. Um, and it and then I'm just I like you like reading that book now because you were like you said 35 years old. I'm 35 now. Uh, I wrote a book. I need to give you a copy called No Way. Oh, I did give you a copy. I think. Yeah. No Way yeah. Out by Major Adam Jowett. Yeah, I believe he was 35 years old when he commanded Easy Company, uh, and I was privileged enough to work on that book with him. And um, that's another kind of the part of where it makes it quite hard for me to read those books now because there's the part of me that's always going to be, and you know what it's like, there's that part of me that's always going to question, should you have left or should you have stayed in? I mean, don't get me wrong, mate, the way things have worked out, couldn't have asked for better. But there is always that little voice of, like, if there were still operations in Iraq going in now, I think I'd have to still be... You know, Well, they still are still in Iraq
1: to less But degree. yeah, but like in, on, and like the surge, le- the surge I mean, level
0: that we oh, that we were at, you know, with yeah, brigade, of, with brigades yeah. on the ground and we divisions have and, like that. Yeah. So look, so like, let's so let's talk. I, hold on. Hmm. So do
1: people ask you that question a lot? Which do one? you miss it? Do you miss it Oh,
0: yeah, I think well, I think to be honest, if anyone listens to me talk for 5 minutes, like <laughs> they they know that I do. I mean, I written a book about the fucking thing where I go on about how much I miss it. I wrote, but I I think it's I think one of the things over the last year I've come up with is that I've accepted that it's okay to miss it, and that just because you miss it doesn't mean that that's necessarily a, a a bad thing or anything that should hold you back. So you can miss it in the same way that, look, I miss my dog from when I was a kid. The dog's never coming back, and war's not coming back either. But it's doesn't it's not going to stop me moving on with other parts of my life. You know, what
1: do you what do you think about those guys though? That it it does consume like you can miss it but it doesn't consume you but then i, I
0: think i was one of those guys for a while you're consumed by i those, think i was spending all, i was spending so much of my time <clears throat> questioning um, going over every minute detail which is in a way something that you need to do for a book you know it is, is to go over yeah. it and i think that's why a book for anyone's listening as well you don't need to write a book to get this effect you can just write anything it could be on notes it could be on the back of a fag packet um, that's a cigarette packet by the way <laughs> fag just, fag. just just, just outlining that one for American I a, listeners I had an inner service <laughs> rivalry joke but I'm just going to refrain I'm going to keep it on classy we're going to keep, classy sender, keep here it classy go. Um, but yeah so I, I was you know I used to spend hours watching combat footage from fucking Chechnya Syria all that stuff I'd be watching all this footage and then I'd, I'd start getting these ideas of oh shall I Try and join the Peshmerga. I'm <laughs> you know, yeah. I was going through, and I'm sure everyone, every combat vet's thought about joining the Peshmerga at some point. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: yeah, I, I see guys do that too, and a lot of times, you probably, <clears throat> a lot of times you've probably realized this as well. Is there's the guys that went into Iraq and Afghanistan during the lulls mm-hmm. where there wasn't a lot of heavy fighting, and then they get out and they feel like, oh, I missed my war. Mm-hmm. I missed my, I didn't get all that yeah. trigger time. Or like, like, as if there was something glamorous about killing another human being. Yeah. And they go to these contract services and they and they keep doing this and doing this and do this until they get that. And they just really get sucked in. And even a lot of the guys have seen heavy combat they still can't let it go, even after they transition out of the well, service. I think I think
0: a lot of it, mate, is it's a you you literally have when you are at war and you're in combat, you have a physical reaction of this these massive adrenaline dumps, which is addictive like a drug. There I is there is there is a, there's a, there's a phys, there is an actual physical element to it. Yeah. Um, because I tell you what, some of the times I've had the biggest smile on my face since being in the military have been when I've crashed a car and written a car off, and you come out of there okay, and you go, "I like all these peace bystanders standards." Are probably like, "What the fuck is wrong with this person?" You're, in your head, you are like, "Damn, that was cool. Like, do that again. <laughs> Roll the car into a like, through a fence." Um, but I think I think there is that, especially for someone that's been in as much combat as say, like the the tour that you had in Ramadi, which was you know about as kinetic as it gets, where. Day in day out, you're having these adrenaline spikes and surges. Well, it's very hard to get that. Um, very hard to get that on a day to day basis. I mean, even if you even if you're someone who leaves the military and goes parachuting, mm-hmm. you're still probably not parachuting every day of the week. You know, so it's very hard to replace that that adrenaline. And um, yeah, I said, my, my think, I think my kind of like breakthrough with it has been to just. Accept that it's something that, like, yeah, that was a great feeling in a lot of ways. But there's other great feelings that you can have, so it doesn't need to be replacing the same great feeling. It's you need to find different ones that can that that offer their own sense of, um, you know, sense of fulfilment. I suppose.
1: No, I agree hundred percent. I think uh, I, I wrote in in Echo and Ermadi that it, it's it's always been the absence of that friction, the absence mm. of that. That took me the longest time to adjust to, and I think now I just compensate by just staying really physically active and uh, having a good routine and just constantly being engaged. And so many people hit me up, and you you get the same thing because you're all over the place, man. And they say, "God, do you ever settle down? Do you ever not do anything? You know, so many people. You're just like because that's what sustains me. Yes, just (laughs) I'm always on the phone. I'm always got my hands in ten different projects. I'm always Doing something else or writing something else, because I feel that's a great I, I, replacement, I totally for lack of a better term. I totally agree. From what I, did. I mean, it's absolutely apples and oranges to what you get mm-hmm. when you're in in combat. And and make no mistake about this. I always when throw this out as a disclaimer. We. We fought pretty hard in, in Ramadi in 0607, but there's plenty of other units that fought longer than we did, harder, and, or just as hard as we did, that lost as many, if not more, than we did. We weren't some badass special forces company of elite soldiers and marines. We were an infantry company that had a lot of great leaders at every level, and we had a lot of great personalities from all over the United States and, and elsewhere. Even our Iraqi interpreters. There's so many fucking characters, man, that there's so much personality and chemistry. That's what made us great. That's Mm -hmm. what let us win. And that's what probably kept a lot of eyes. I
0: really like that story in there, actually, about the Iraqi interpreters, because I think for a lot of people, there's it's almost like a it's like a, a racist slash dehumanizing thing that they do. Um which includes interpreters as well as the enemy and as well as the civilians. Yeah. And you know the the story that you had behind those guys that basically that you know th- read I mean obviously I want you guys to all go out and buy the buy the book and if you don't do it then fuck off <laughs> find another podcast. Um, <laughs> but um yeah the story is basically like these guys are you know they're looking for they're looking to get jobs they just want to do well as we all do in life. And you know they're, they 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 decided not to do it because it was, you know, too dangerous. Because they would get, you know, they get so many threats from the militias. But their hand was forced in the end because what, what a lot of people don't understand was going on in Iraq was this ethnic cleansing. Basically, you know, neighborhoods. You know, if you were in a sunny neighborhood and you were Shia, then you know you would you would, it was get out or die. Or if it might not have even given you the choice. And I mean, there's I I've never seen it myself. Thank God uh, I have plenty of friends who have come across people who have had their skulls drilled out with power power tools and you know it's just some of the stuff is going on in Iraq is and it, and I, I think one of the things that the western governments did a very bad job of was making this public knowledge it was people always kind of had this thing of oh the um, you know the western governments are bad and we're fighting these people who are just sticking over their homes they did such a bad PR job because I think if, we, I think if you told your average British or American citizen hey look this is what's going on in these neighborhoods when we're not out there patrolling. If we're not present, what's happening is these people are getting their um their fucking heads drilled through, their families are being killed. Anyone that's working for a, you know, even if it's just driving a a, a trash truck, um these people are, are being thrown, you know, being thrown at the gates of the camps with their heads caved in by fucking hammers. And I I mean, I, I don't think people understand the sheer brutality People know about ISIS. They know what ISIS did. But they don't know that that was going on before, you know. And so when you when you think about it, Scott, when you, what you did out there, obviously you had your mission to your troops, American troops, but do you also feel like you had a mission for the Iraqi people?
1: I, I did. And what, what's interesting about that, too, is that all those horrific acts that you described those are not urban legend and and we did come across those those grisly facets of combat and they were existent we we heard stories about you're right the, the 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 news media was so hypersensitive to the religious and cultural aspects of going back into iraq and 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 as if we weren't already in afghanistan they they blanketed the american public the world for a for a better answer from all those grim details And really emphasize the positive things of what the soldiers were doing and the gains and the momentum instead of really showing the world what we were up against, how ruthless it was. And, you know, for these young Iraqi interpreters, I absolutely protected them just like I would anyone under my command. They, because they were gold, Mm -hmm. literally young, again, 18, 19 year old kids that. Their houses got burned out in Baghdad. Their families were had to abandon them, move to hidden hidden cities. The, there's still three of Big Sam's cousins that just vanished. Three females, never to be heard from again. Obviously, they're dead. Yeah. But
0: those but guys probably were probably in the hor- most horrible way you oh, can absolutely. imagine. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I don't even want to think yep. about it. But uh, that that's what these guys sacrificed to go on every single patrol with us, and they were in such short supply mm. because that was one of our biggest deficits is we're fighting a war is, if you don't speak the same language to develop the atmospherics that you're fighting in, mm. in a counterinsurgency, you're, you're gonna have trouble, man, yeah. because that's how you win when you're fighting an insurgency. It's not killing as many guys. It's not attrition warfare like Vietnam. It, it really is winning over the people. So you, you fight the insurgency, not the insurgent, And I I believe that to a degree. Uh, I I definitely believe you got to kill the guys that need killing. They they have to be taken off the battlefield, not a play. You have to take all the weapons off the battlefield, any anything you find, and sterilize it, which is something we did. But to really value what those young men and women, because we had female interpreters with us too, one who was out on patrol. I'll never forget. I I can't remember her name. It's like her code name was like Sheena or something. And it's like two in the morning, man. She got doused in diesel fuel. And you know how cold it was in Iraq in in November, December? And when you get covered in fuel, Mm. fuel oil, you're even colder. And I told her we'd put her on a truck, we'd get a truck out and send her back to the firm base. She didn't go. Mm. She said, no, I'm going to finish. I'll stay till the morning and when everybody goes back, I'm going to go back. I mean, who does that?
0: Yeah, I mean, dude, I've I've worked with some fucking great interpreters, worked with some terrible ones. Um, I'm sure you have too. And um, I think... The great thing about working with interpreters as, as a junior rank is that you get to, like, because really, especially in when we were in Afghanistan, we, you never got to talk to the local population. In Iraq, we got to do a bit of it. But in in, in Afghanistan, really, the only people we ever talked to who were actual Afghans were our interpreters. And it's important, hmm. it's it's really important to remember that the people in that country that you're fighting in are actually people and they're not just, like, yeah. they're not just fucking um, extras in a movie who are running around. Like, they're, that's their they're their homes. It's, it's And I, I... Look, it's a very hard one to do because on one hand, you do need to dehumanise to a certain extent because, one, you need to kill people you need to dehumanise. Um, and also, if you're going to clean up after a fucking car bomb, you need to... Dehumanize those civilians to a certain extent too. If you didn't, the guys would just be totally fucking broken down yeah. after a few months, especially young, you know, young people who can't, don't really have a context to put it into, um, you know, and understand why these things happen. You know, if you're an 18 year old and you're just seeing people, and you know, it's it's a tough one. But like on the other hand, you know, when the reason we're in these countries is to help the people there, at least you know that's what I'd like to think um and in order to do that you can't totally dehumanize them because if you do then you you can't you'll you'll never have civil interactions with them you certainly and and it's uh, it's a tough one uh, you know as as a commander what were the what were the the biggest things that you kind of like cuz I, I i'm sure it was probably a case of you got taught very well by the marines about how to move a company around in the battle space what were the things that w- were maybe you know, you had to pick up more on the fly. Well,
1: the toughest thing is always ensuring that the young Marine or soldier does what you want them to do when they don't want to do it necessarily in your absence. And to do that, I had to really establish a solid leadership philosophy. And I was never one of those commanders that I had this... Piece of paper. It was a page long soliloquy of, I uh, you know, under my command we will do this and blah blah blah. And it's a page long, and they usually stick it on the pisser. You know, when you're reading it while you're taking a leak, which is not how I want people to think of me as their commander.
0: <laughs> With a dick in their hand,
1: yeah, <laughs> dick in their hand. Like I don't know, maybe so. I've been called worse, but uh, I just made it really simple, and I and I told the Marines from the day I took command is that we will we will train hard, we will fight and we will win. That was it. Yeah. That was my command philosophy. Because at the end of the day, we were all each other had. And if you see two young soldiers and Marines in the middle of a foreign city in the Middle East, and shit's going really, really bad, brother, they're going to look at each other, and, and it's going to be me and you like, oh, man, it's, this, mm. this shit's getting bad. What should we do? What would you say, man? Yeah.
0: The best example of that is those two guys that got the Navy Cross. When there was the um, there was two of them on post together, and that suicide truck came yeah, down the chicane, yeah. and all the Iraqis started running off, and those two guys they just stand stayed there. firm. Yeah, I was talking yeah. to my guys about this the other day. I can't understand how they didn't both get a medal of honor, but anyway, that's beside the point. The point because is our American award system is horrible. Yeah. I would say
1: that on public record mm-hmm. any day of the week. Well, 'cause we do I mean, not do these guys. Justice.
0: I I just heard I I heard the incident. I was like, oh, they must have both got the medal of honor, and then it, and I was like, wait, what? They didn't get, but anyway, to me. That is like these two young guys, um, like you said, in the middle of an Iraqi city on their own and just standing shoulder to shoulder, yeah, they, sacrificing themselves. And, and I'm
1: sure they were saying that same thing, like, hey, he's getting pretty bad. What what, what do you think we should do? Mm-hmm. I'm sure they, you know, mm-hmm. if they were my Marines, they would have said, win. And yeah. those two guys were emblematic of my, my mm-hmm. leadership philosophy, even mm-hmm. though they weren't my Marines. But they yeah. fought to the death to win and defuse the situation. They saved lives and they gave their own. and. You know, in some cases, and uh, you know, it's just it's just remarkable what these young men and women will do. I think the other thing too is the the other challenge I had was in those environments where you know you go from these very very intense periods of kinetic fighting. When I say kinetic, it means bullets smashing into concrete and explosions and rockets and mortars to these long long periods of boredom. And you can't train for boredom, but to get a young, eighteen-year-old kid to go with a machine gun or a rifle from zero to sixty and engage the enemy with the utmost ferocity and kill the target, and then get him to go at a moment's notice, sometimes within five minutes from sixty to zero, and then start handing out candy to kids, and and you know it, that's a real leadership challenge.
0: Yeah. But so, oh, yeah. what what's the kind of things you did to kind of? Um, you know, to counteract that. Constantly reinforcing our mission,
1: constantly reinforcing why we were there, and constantly reinforcing the rules of engagement as professional soldiers. That's what we were bound to. Uh, There's never a case where you're suffering from so much combat stress or fatigue or you've lost so many of your friends that it gives you the right to deviate from that because once you do that, you become the enemy Mm. uh, in essence. Um, But... That's a tough thing mentally for a young kid to do. And I think by having leadership at certain levels, at every level, to really reinforce that, that keeps guys in the right frame of mind. So when they leave that battle space, they can do it with a a clean heart. And I think that's important. And that was the other thing that I told my guys before we went into that fight was... A lot of these guys had never squeezed the trigger of their rifle. Uh, and I, I told them, you, you will have to kill. I am ordering you to kill. And I told them that for a very specific reason, because that act of killing, of taking another human life, when you have to put that rifle in your shoulder and look through the sights and see another human being at the other end of that scope and squeeze the trigger, and when you feel that recoil and know what you've done, you have to do it knowing that you were ordered to do it. And I always wanted them to do that one singular task, that life-changing task, without hesitation. Mm. They had to do that because I was ordering them to do that. And in doing so, I'd like to think that that was my burden to carry mm-hmm. off the yeah. battlefield. I didn't want them to do it because they were so young. And again, I was—you know—I had 35 years of of combat and and training and a lot of life experience to process these things as we returned home. Where I never really thought about how they dealt with all this shit I was tasking them with day in and day out. And they did it so phenomenally, brother, that I sit back now from a different lens and I look through it and I'm just amazed because... I didn't really realize how young they were until I wrote well, You were twice their age, right? Yeah. Well, practically, yeah. I was, na- I was na- Nearly twice the age of some yeah, of guys. Nearly, nearly twice their age. I was 30, 35 at the time. Um, because I was prior enlisted, I was a little older than the average bear, but uh, I didn't take stock of that as you're, as you're leading these guys. Mm-hmm. I, did, I didn't see, you know, Jonathan S. Binoza. All I saw was sergeant. I didn't realize he was a sergeant that had already been to combat, and he was only 23 years old. Yeah. <laughs> He's in charge of 12 of their lives. Yeah. And it's just remarkable, man. I, 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 anyone that volunteers, whether you're in the military, or you're a first responder and you're a protector and you put your life on the line, I tell you, I have the utmost respect for those guys because the public who are so afraid to ask those questions of what we do and who are afraid to tune into this show and really hear the honest truth from guys that are telling it not to embellish or not to get, any any semblance of gratitude out of it it's just to inform and share so people realize these are the people that allow you to do the things you love to do every single day and without these small pockets of protectors whether they're cops or security guards or the greatest fighting force in the world the united states marine corps uh <laughs> I'm waiting for you to come back or No, man, I'm not gonna argue that.
0: But, uh, I'm not gonna argue. I love the Marines.
1: Yeah, it's just uh you know, something that I, I really like sharing that message in you know yeah. in certain forums and I think, you know, we need to be reminded of that often. Because it shouldn't take smashing a couple of airplanes into buildings to build national pride yeah.
0: or patriotism. Unfortunately though, it is quite often the case when you know, it, it, it it is almost one of those things. It's like, um, we, and and this isn't just in relation to the military. Just as generally as people, quite often, you know, you you never realize what you've got until it's gone. You know, it's and that can be, you know, that could be a friendship. That could be security of your nation. Um, and and I, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I think it's worth going into again. I'm always conflicted with this because one part of me wants to fucking shake people and say, you don't understand that a three-hour plane ride still from the UK to Syria is like three hours on a fucking flight. When you don't understand, three hours away, the cities are levelled, people are being sold in slave markets. You know, you like, you have no idea how fucking cushioned you are here. But then the other part of me thinks well isn't the reason that you did what you did and your friends did what you did and people continue to do what they do so that these people can be in a bubble now i do think there must be there should be room for a happy medium in there somewhere but i suppose if my mm-hmm. choice if my choice was do i want do i like i've seen some fucking vi- like i've seen some videos of things from Syria and stuff which you know fucking hell give me a little shook me up a little bit you know do i want a 16 a year old Kid in Wales to have to see that even a video, let alone in there, or, or is it better that they're sheltered? And if people are sheltered, then they naturally will not appreciate as much that that barrier of security that is there, because if you if you if you don't realise the threat, if you don't you know there's a there 's a big difference between hearing numbers and saying, "Oh, people die in Syria and seeing someone getting their head sewn off yeah. you know and and but i don 't i, I don 't think that I want it to be all right kids, welcome to assembly on Friday morning right what we 're going to do today to make sure that you fucking re- to make sure you appreciate your freedoms is that we 're going to watch some Syrians get butchered like, you know what i mean i don 't think I want to go
1: that far terrorism today by principal flip flop <laughs> yeah that's that's you 're right that 's a that's a interesting uh perspective and i would yeah i would agree with that and i think that in any country in any society that there is just that small segment again of protectors of people who really have something in them that want to help people that can't help themselves and those are the military heroes and our our police officers and and firefighters and and doctors all, all these people that dedicate so much time of their lives and it's not just time that they dedicate to their profession it's time they sacrifice away from mm-hmm. their families where some people yeah. they they've never spent a night out of the same bed with their with their yeah. spouse yeah. and we do it for six nine ten yeah. fourteen months in some cases
0: and it's probably the happiest it. time of some people's lives <laughs> <laughs> but i I think as well though like i'd be wrong with saying i've I've said this in the book that there is a selfish aspect to it too now as much as i wanted to be the hero as much as i wanted to be the person who who did that i did what i I did believe in that i still do there's also that element of um wanting the adventure for my own personal reasons you know to to, so because um Friend of the podcast, Mark Scovell, he was talking about how really if you're a, if you're a soldier now you're like the front you're the frontiersman of of our generation you know so you know right now we're in California probably what 150 years ago people were 170 years ago people were coming out here from across the other side of the country you know carving out you know coming out looking for adventure looking for experiences looking for extremes of the human condition. Uh, and I think that's what we get in the military now, isn't it? Like we, we, we like where else are you going to go? To so where else are you going to go in in this day and age? If you live in a Western country, where else are you going to go that is going to give you that frontier-like experience, except for the military?
1: In. in- have a license to do it yes for
0: the most part yeah i was gonna say that's important too <laughs> the the license to do it, it
1: wasn't lawlessness of the mm-hmm. wild wild west that mm-hmm. we had here in america yeah. but uh, yeah. you'd really have to be some rogue adventurist out there exploring the amazon and you bounce into some <laughs> renegade tribe and you have to battle your way through it all but it's uh it's a great experience too because there must be something in people that, that wants that type of experience. And, and, yeah. I, think and po- I think they do it because they're they're probably I, – I don't have a Ph.D. on my world, but I've known so many people, they do it because they're missing something in their life. They're missing a sense of family structure or, or discipline, mm-hmm. and I think they're born with it almost innately, and, and they gravitate towards serving others. And the, the military absolutely offers them that sense of – Unity and, and family and protection. I mean, the protection. Uh, the number of people that come from broken homes that join the military is the, one of the highest percentages. I'm I'm one of them, and I think that when you have that sense of family, and then you leave that after four years or 24 years in my case, um, you you find other ways to replace that. But again, I think staying connected to that that tribe is mm-hmm. is super important. And I, I love using that word because. I probably plugged him 25 times. I always give a shout out to Sebastian Younger who wrote Tribe. It's one of my favorite books. I've given it as a gift to so many people because he articulates that need uh, so eloquently. And I think that I'm very comfortable staying in my tribe, but I'm also very fortunate that I reach out to other networks who are willing to support us. And I'm the guy that pulls back the curtain and says, hey – Come on in, come on in here and see what we really do. See what we're really all about. See what our active duty component does. See what our veteran community does. And you know, there's some people that sniff around and they're just tourists. They don't really want to help, and I cut them out yeah. <laughs> as quickly as they came in.
0: This tourists. There's leeches too. Yeah, there's
1: like yeah, there's like groupies. Yeah, kinda, you know, kind of.
0: I've seen I've seen um It's usually civilians, and I've seen some of them who are definitely in it for their own they're they're in it because veterans are the flavor of the month in mm-hmm. terms of charities and I think once that I, I think once the kind of the heat dies down off Iraq and Afghanistan they'll be they'll be dumping the veteran charities and they'll be moving on to other ones so definitely I'm not gonna say any names on air but we could talk afterwards. yeah <laughs> um, but yeah I think you're right so let's talk about the charity work that you, you've been doing there. yeah it's a good good lead-in brother okay. is uh,
1: you know there are a massive amount of charities in the United States, there's over 450,000 veteran nonprofits registered Jesus. with the Internal Revenue Service. And yeah, that space is cluttered with just mom and pop organizations that are really not doing anything, or they're just doing it for the wrong reasons, they're raising money and they're padding their own bank accounts with it and they're not really helping veterans. In Back in 2015, one of my young Marines, who is a a saw gunner named Nick Velez, who owns Bastard's Canteen up in Downey, California, and he's opened another store in Temecula and in Coachella, he basically wanted to create an organization that helped veterans, specifically dealing with post-traumatic stress, that they could come together, we could do some outreach programs, fishing or hiking in a safe environment, and they could just share. And it wasn't this boozy smoke-filled room like the veterans of foreign wars hall oh, where it's yeah. a bunch of old geezers telling war stories and it's not war stories it's the same war story over and over well, we only really have we so many right? yeah yeah, we do <laughs> it's like uh, six i just steal them life. from other people and make yeah. them mine And you know as a writer nothing's original so <laughs> um but we started save the brave in 2015 and we are a hundred percent non-profit we volunteer all of our time None of us take a salary. We've raised, you know, hundreds, of thousands of dollars, and we've helped hundreds of veterans every year. Last month alone, we flew a group of veterans from across the country down to Cabo San Lucas. We took them offshore fishing. That's in Mexico. Yeah, in Mexico. Yeah, Mexico, nice. Yeah, and uh, it's just a great opportunity for them to just really enjoy a experience that they probably would have never had the opportunity to do growing up something the military didn't afford them and now that they've transitioned out and they're in their own lives and they're trying to build their own careers and families we connect them and that really is the the cure my my good friend Josh Collins said that that you know connection is the cure and I've I've used that time oh, and that's again a great one. yeah it re- it really that's is a great one. and um, he's a former army special forces uh, dude and he gets it but at save the brave that's what we're committed to and I spend a lot of my time planning and coordinating and doing sponsorship. And if you're listening to this podcast and you want to find out more about Save the Brave, go to savethebrave.org. You can check us out. We we, we host an annual golf tournament coming up on October 4th in Temecula, California. We do offshore fishing trips. You can follow Save the Brave at Save the Brave on Instagram, at Save the Brave underscore offshore. We have a whole page dedicated to nothing but fishing because we get a lot of sponsors that love what we do, love what we're about. They want to help veteran organizations and and I I'm, I'm optimistic, man, that this whole wave of patriotism and veteran support is going to continue. I think the the guys that are doing it for the wrong reasons will will die on the vine or they'll be they'll be cut out of the circle of trust pretty quickly. And we've seen examples of that, and we don't need to mention any names, but when you've got an organization like Save the Brave that people understand, we we do it all for the veterans and every dollar practically goes uh, you know every cent of every dollar practically goes to help veteran programs and that's what we do because we don't take a salary and that's a, <laughs> a lot yeah. of work. I mean there's people that make hundreds of thousands of dollars for veteran nonprofits sitting on boards and giving advice and they're not out there doing it yeah they're not boots on the ground they're not creating these programs and opportunities and that's what we just love about this thing man and it is uh, really gratifying too because again you don't see it immediately it's it's taken some time where, we get a phone call or an email, and, you know, it's some young, young warrior. He, he says, man, thank you yeah. for, for taking me on that trip because I got a job. Or I got back with my girlfriend or my wife let me back in the house. Or I bought a dog. Or thank you for yeah. buying me that dog. It's, mm-hmm. it's made a huge difference in my life, and, and that's important stuff. I
0: think animals really – I think that's something that's really kind of like – so I, I love that communication is uh, – so connection is the cure. Um, well, mind you, communication too, communication and connection of the queue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, pets as well. Like it's it's it. it cut, this this mind stuff is like it's obviously a very 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 um, uh, complicated subject. But it's also actually quite simple in some ways too. Mm. If, you, if you, I guarantee anyone listening, anyone listening to not feeling great, if you go out, if you go outdoors, get some fresh air. And you if you exercise and if you get friends with good people and if you talk and, and if you have a tribe of good friends around you, I guarantee you will feel better. I'm not saying it's gonna cure everything. You know, it's not there's still gonna be things that need to be worked on, right? But if you just do find some purpose in your life, get outside, get exercise, get your body moving, get your mind working, you know, there's there's a lot of really Simple things that we can do to help ourselves, and I think something as like you said, it it's, doesn't mean it's easy to organize, but it's simple. The idea of getting people together, you talk, you hang out, you fish, you know, you get the outdoor, you get the salt. spain knows? It's it's simple. It's it's simple. It's effective, and I really do hope that like events like that do keep um yeah. organizations like that going, and I'm sure they will. I have no I have no doubt. I think we're going to see the the celebrity of veterans. Charity's fallen off, but I think the actual core of a charity I'm recruiting
1: public figures and celebrities right now
0: like rudy so he's doing here?
1: reyes is does force blue but yeah. he's also a proud supporter of what we do because he's force been, Blue's
0: a great charity a great charity yeah.
1: yeah force blue is great um but rudy is a proud supporter of what we do because he's been to our events he's spoken at our events we were really really lucky a great friend of mine jay moore actor comedian he was bob sugar in Jerry McGuire, and he's doing a national comedy tour now. Jay's now a proud, proud supporter and sponsor because he's he, he will say it and not take a lot of credit for it. But I've already sent probably thirty or forty veterans and their families and Gold Star families to his comedy show because Jay gives me free tickets to every single show, every city, nationwide. That's awesome, and he doesn't have to do that. No, he's walking. And that, he's that's walking money to walk. out of his pocket. Yeah. Well, and yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And not only does he do that, but he says it's a standing order that all the guys that come to the show, all the veterans, meet him backstage in the green room to do a photo op and meet and greet because he wants to say thank you. I mean, Jay, I love you, brother. And if you listen to this episode, I mean it. You know I do. Everything we do together, he's just another another guy that has huge fame. He's been in the business forever. He's on Saturday Night Live. And he's he, everybody knows Jay Moore. He's hilarious. But... He doesn't have to do that, and I'm honored that he chose Save the Brave because there were a ton of other cha- yeah. charities that he could have. So yeah, I think, I think if you again, if you get the right people, and, and Jay's not the only one, you know, up here in Hollywood, where it's easy to pick the flavor of the day to try and make mm-hmm. your brand look better, but. Yeah. You know, we've had so much support from guys um, like Chad Michael Collins. He's the voice of uh, Modern Warfare, and he plays these yeah. you know, sniper movies on Sony Entertainment. And he's always coming out and supporting uh, Mark Valley and Pete Koch, uh, actors that, you know, they, they have a busy life. Mm, um, yeah, do. People don't realize that, but they put a lot of, a lot of yeah. hours in. And there's a lot of great supporters out there that we really – the list, The show isn't long enough to go through my list and thank everybody, but you guys know
0: who you are. There's it Oscar – it's like the Oscar thing. <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah. It no, mate, there's a lot start of playing fucking. The music. It's it's a lot of uh, great fucking people out there. Yeah. There really is, and a lot of people mm.
1: just don't know where to give of their time or their money because they're very leery of some of these veteran nonprofits because
0: with good reason. Yeah, they've, sta-
1: they've stained the water uh, yeah. with misappropriation and misuse of donor funds, and you know if you're if you're giving away blankets and having you know. Country icons pitching your charity on Super Bowl commercials, and you do the math, celebrity, Super Bowl commercial, and giving free stuff away, you know the money's not going to the right place. Right, yeah. you, you just know it's not. And oh, it's, it's evident, there? but that's, they target... disgusting. Who's that? Yeah, there? no, I know. I, well, again, I don't, I'm not going to mention names. I am only to get, right, we'll get, get on profit war, but... Go, we'll uh, go on off offer. You, you know, they target people who are susceptible to that type of marketing and ad- advertisement mm-hmm. because they're... They're elderly. They sit at home. They've got money. They don't know what to do I, with. And, and they're, they're, just,
0: they're, they're doing the right thing. Like they think. The doing yeah, they think well, they're yeah, doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah. And because um, my my grandma's done it before, she's been like, "Oh, I've given money to such and such." You know, because like because I was in, I'm like, "Ah, oh, damn, I fucking love you." That's such a nice thing to do. But I and I just I, it makes me angry because I think fuck those people because I I know where I know where where I I know how they operate and I'm you know. Yeah. Um but dude, let's finish on a let's finish on a positive man. Like
1: Yeah, let's do that. What
0: I want to say is, um, <laughs> well I mean that was positive apart from my little spiel in about um the charity that should remain unnamed. Writing. Do you advocate it in one way, shape or form to other people? Do you think that it's do you think that it helped you? Was it a a cathartic exercise in, in mm. doing it? Did it did it did it help you organize some thoughts? Does it does it give you peace of mind knowing that it's down on paper?
1: No, I didn't have some catharsis writing Echo and Ramadi. I didn't feel that I had to get this out. I thought it was a very important story about a very important battle, the second battle of Ramadi, And I just didn't want those stories to fall under the the radar of other significant battles like Fallujah or Mm -hmm. World War II battles or Vietnam. I, I didn't want that to just become a footnote in some article somewhere. So I shared that story and it was about the battle itself, but as, as you know, reading some of the book, it's it's more about the people than yes. the fighting and the friction. Absolutely. It, it, it's about these amazing characters and the, and the families and our Gold Star families and the Marines and sailors and soldiers that fought and the interpreters and this power of human connection that we all still share to this day. That is really the core message of the book. And there's so many other things that apply, like the leadership and the team building and overcoming adversity through what we did in war and what we deal with now and in the, in the tragic aftermath of what war has through veterans taking their own lives and, and killing themselves. And that's why why we started Save the Brave. And we just want to be proactive and stop that. But I didn't finish the book and, and have this outpouring of emotion— I. I did have that moment and you you know this is yeah. a is a guy that writes books when you write that last paragraph that last sentence and you just I mean it was like a light came on well, it, I was like I I immediately called my freelance editor yeah. and I said Sylvia I just finished the book
0: yeah it, it's 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 an achievement in the sense of when you get to the top of a big ass mountain or something like that you know you've worked hard to get there so there's a relief writing a book is fucking hard. <laughs> yeah, it, it, <laughs> people
1: ask the question all the time: How long did it take you to write a book? I mean, you cranked through some quickly. For me, it took. I tell people it took me ten years to write this book because had I written it when I came back, the stories wouldn't have been the same. Of I course, mean, the, yeah, the you processing. Need to, you need to sit on them. But soup to nuts, a year. I think I was locked in my studio yeah.
0: doing the research and a hundred interviews.
1: Uh, so
0: well, yeah, because you've got a lot in a lot of detail in there. Yeah. Um, right. People listening buy the book it is available amazon? on amazon it's yep.
1: in kindle audible hardcover, and this october it comes out in paperback for the first oh, time fantastic. i think it's oh
0: shit there's the alarm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> i think we go into our third or fourth printing and uh yeah you can you can find me on instagram uh at echo and ramadi follow me you can see all the cool photos we do with you know traveling around and meeting guys uh you know in our community it's just a. Uh, It's a good time, man. But, uh, yeah, I'm very grateful for all the support we've had and, you know, to – to really make the connection and get those emails from from those families is way more important to me than being best selling author. Those are the best. Yeah,
0: absolutely, absolutely do. Totally agree with you. And and I'm I'm grateful for you coming down, mate. I'm gra- grateful yeah. for you. Or oh, coming up, I should say, as we're we are in um, in Hollywood right now and you down in Temecula. Um, it's been fucking great. I want to do this again when we get back, mate. I'm going to be back here in a few months. I'd love to love to chat more and dive Let's into this. Um, guys, thank you so much for listening. You can find me at GRJ Books at Veteran State of Mind at VSonpodcast.com. Check out the video. Uh, check out uh, check out the book. Make sure you pick it up. Echo in Ramadi, Guys, thank you so much. Cheers for listening. Love you all. Goodbye.